Last week we stopped at Luke chapter 2 verse 1. And we'll pick it up from there. Okay, so last week we started in, we stopped at Luke chapter 3 verse 1. Luke chapter 3 verse 1. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ethuria, in the region of Trichonitis and Lysania, and tetrarch of Abilene, Anias and Chiapas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. So this 15th year of Tiberius Caesar would have been around AD 26. Again, here Luke shows his merit as a historian by listing all these people and what their jobs were at that time. So it sets a definitive date in history. Tiberius Caesar was the second Roman emperor. He didn't really want to be Roman emperor, but because of everybody else dying, he ended up with the job, and sometimes he was all right, and sometimes he was incredibly cruel. During the ministry of Jesus, Tiberius Caesar would have been who was in charge of the Roman Empire. Verse 2 says, The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. This will be John the Baptist. As we talked earlier, a couple lessons ago, John the Baptist's parents were very old when he was born, so they most likely passed away early in his life, and we don't know much about what he was doing, but he was in the Judean wilderness where many prophets isolated themselves and the word of the Lord came into them. Moses was in Sinai. Prophet Elijah went into the wilderness. A lot of a lot of the prophets went there. But the word of God came into him and if we remember from chapter 1 verse 80 it said the child grew and racked strong in the spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel until the day he was sent forth and here we have the word of God coming unto him in the wilderness and once the word of the Lord came unto him he came forth out of the wilderness and began to preach boldly and began to gain a huge following in Judea at this time he would have still been a, a fairly young man not yet 30 I would say or very very close to 30 Verse 3, and he came unto all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance and the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Elisus the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord to make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Verse 4 through 6 are quotations from the Old Testament. 
the authors of the New Testament made a great deal of quoting from the Old Testament to show that this was a continuation of what their fathers have been taught since the beginning of time, even up until this time. It's, so they made a lot of to do about linking the prophets of old into this, this time frame. The book of Isaiah, which is Isaiah's, written here with an E instead of an I. It was written around 600 B.C. That's when the prophet was prophesying. And uh, it is also a composite quotation. Many of the quotations of the New Testament, they are composite quotations of the Old Testament. Like there'll be part of the quotation will be from one book and a, a part of it will be from the other book. The One of these is from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, I believe. And the one from Isaiah is from Isaiah chapter 40. Coincidentally, chapter 40 is what higher critics and scholars of the text begin calling the new part of Isaiah. They say that the book of Isaiah couldn't have been written by one person because it accurately predicted the name of uh, Cyrus, the ruler of Persia, who ultimately freed the Jews from captivity in Babylon 120 or so years before his birth. So they said that he could not, it could not have been like that. However, in the text, there are several words used in both the old and the new section of Isaiah that are unique to Isaiah, thus giving ample evidence that the book was composed by one author. Anyway, both of these books in the Old Testament were written... Malachi isn't dated. Most people think it's around 400 B.C. So we have a great span of time there when there were no prophets in Israel from, say, 400 B.C. up until John the Baptist came forth from the wilderness. There were no prophets. There were no men of God that proclaimed things that soon came to pass. So a lot of people think that the Bible is just a continuous string of miracles. Miracles in the Bible are fairly rare as they are in our time. People will tend to forget that we're, we're talking of a, a span of roughly 3,000 years written about here in the, in the Bible, uh, perhaps more if we count you know, um, the dispensations of time. Then we're talking millions, billions, perhaps years. Um, but generally the history, mankind's history, we're talking around 3,000 years. and Very few miracles, very few direct intervention from God. So when John the Baptist came forth out of the wilderness, it was quite a thing and it caused a stir, especially this time in Judea with the Romans had been in charge around 60 years at this time. Actually more than that, probably 70, 70 or 80 years, but the Jews were always uh, very, they chafed under the Roman rule. And so they were looking for a Messiah now, I'll mention again later, but the Jews viewed the coming Messiah prophesied from the holy books. They viewed him as a conquering Messiah. They thought that he was going to lead armies and crush their enemies and make the Jews the center of the world, so to speak. But that did not happen. They were mistaken. So the Jews ain't been sinned by not believing in Jesus because they just believed in the Old Testament. Mm, uh, 
Oh, well, the Jews are, are, are a special people set aside by the Lord, and he is uh, long-suffering towards them. Uh, what do you, what's the exact question, though? I mean, because the Jews, don't they, they don't believe that Jesus is, you know, God, you know. No, it, uh, the Bible says that's called them a stiff-necked people. So, um, the Jews are there, and they serve their place. They are... Many of them will believe in the end. There's reason to believe that at the end of time, many of them uh, convert or, or accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah over the alternative of the Antichrist. That will be made clearer as the time comes along. Um, but the Jews, the Jews do their own thing, you know? And they have had a an extraordinary place in history doing their thing. And it is part of God's plan. He knew from the beginning that he would be rejected. Now, not all the, the Jews rejected Christ. Most of his followers, his early followers, were in fact Jews. And they are the ones that spread Christianity throughout the world. You know, But there are different factions. Even today there's Messianic Jews and there's just different factions, and you'd have to go into the whole history of Judaism for, for the past 2,000 years. I, I say the Jews have their place, and they are blessed of God, obviously. Their role will be made manifest later on. As it has been throughout history, they, they've played a, a huge part in history, much more so than what their numbers would suggest. Uh, they, are, they are definitely blessed from God. Verse 7. And he said unto the multitude that came to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Question. A bring forth fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid into the roots of the trees, and every tree, therefore, which brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people ask him, saying, What shall we do then? So here John the Baptist is preaching. This is one of the, the few places where his ministry is chronicled. It says to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. And he was baptizing these people and raising them from the water. And they were uh, to be a new person. And John did the baptism of repentance. And Jesus the baptism of salvation. John baptized with water. And Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit and through his blood. But John was telling these people to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Now it says to show if we or sorry for our sins, then our works should testify to that. Now, this goes into works, uh, and that's kind of a teaching that you'll hear in traditional churches. Uh, you'll, you'll hear them a lot, preach this works versus grace. And we'll look at that for a second. So, he says to do things that may let God know that you are worthy of repentance. So, this is like be kind and, and do, follow the law of God. So let's see if this relates to salvation. We'll turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Book of Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul. 
We'll start in verse 3, Ephesians chapter 2, 3. Among whom also we had all our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and whereby nature the children of wrath, even as others, and you know today we all have the desires of our flesh and our mind, usually foremost is something we all strive against daily, whether it be sex, drugs, riches, whatever. And we must always be at war with this. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Now grace here is unmerited favor. Grace is when you get something that you do not deserve. Verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Through Christ coming here and being sacrificed from our sins, we are joined together with him. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Here Paul talks to the ages of people who are coming afterward, and that would be us today. For by grace you are saved through faith. So if we believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and He was sacrificed for our sins and He rose again on the third day and we confess this before men, then we will be saved by the promise of the Lord. And He says that we will be with Him in paradise if we believe these things and we confess them before men. For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of you yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For ye are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So here it is unequivocal that we are not saved by any good work that we can do. We are saved through the mercy of God that he does not wish to destroy the souls of his children. It says because we would not be able to boast. Other places it says that the works of men are as filthy rags before God. But that does not mean that we should not do good works. It says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's why we are created to do good works which he has before ordained that we should walk in them. So it goes back to what John the Baptist was saying about doing good things to show that we are worthy of repentance. So we should not fall into the trap of thinking that we can work our way into heaven. It is only through the acceptance of Christ as the Savior that we can get there and have eternal life. Let's look at this further in the book of James, chapter 2. This is James the Just, the brother of the Lord, the first bishop of Jerusalem. He was one of the first people to be martyred for Christ after Christ's death and resurrection. Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian, also chronicles his death. Death's not chronicled in the Bible. It's chronicled uh, by Josephus. Chapter 2, <coughs> starting verse 8. 
If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do well. That's the golden rule. Love thy neighbor as thyself. If we do those, that one thing Jesus said that it pretty much encompasses all our human interactions. The other commandment was thou shalt have no other God before the Lord thy God and that takes care of the spiritual. But love thy neighbor as thyself is worldly and it, it takes care of the commandments of don't covet, don't kill, don't commit adultery. Verse 9. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin. That means like a people, great people, if you have more respect to them than the lowly. And are convicted of the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet is offended in one point, he is guilty for all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. Now if thou committed no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art a transgressor of the law. So speak you, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that showeth no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. So if we do not show mercy to those who have wronged us or who are in our power, we will not receive mercy at the judgment. Here it kind of goes back to what Paul was talking about, about mercy and grace. It says, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. So the Lord God does not like to judge his children harshly, so he has mercy towards them. Verse 14, What do it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? How can, can faith save him? Question. Well, faith is the belief that Jesus has the power to forgive sin, that he was the son of God, and that he rose from the dead on the third day. That is something that you believe. And so we did not see that happen. Some of these people did see it happen. So for us, we are believing a thing that we did not see. We've just been told by others. Like if I were to stand by you and do what's called a trust fall and count on you to catch me, and I believed you caught me, then I would have faith, but I wouldn't know for sure until either you dropped me or, you know, you caught me. But with the Lord God, we know his promises are true and we can have absolute faith in that, but we do not have like the direct evidence of it. Whereas works are, are things that we do, whether it's feeding the poor, helping somebody who's sick, visiting those in prison. Yeah, the things that show your faith and that you are obedient to the Lord. There are, there are, these are things you actually do, not that you believe. The good deeds are what you believe. Yes, but these works are good deeds. But they are not what get you to heaven. Verse 15, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you saying to them, Depart in peace, be you warmed and filled, Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doeth it profit? So it says here, if you see a brother or sister in need and uh, 
it's in your power to help them and you don't help them you send them on their way and tell them to go in peace and be warm and filled it's like kind of like the equivalent of today of uh, sending thoughts and prayers on Facebook people mock Christians now especially uh, those that are hostile towards Christianity whenever something bad happens they start saying well we're sending thoughts and prayers which they say is a basically worthless but sometimes that's all we can do we we have no power over over certain things in some people's life and then sometimes we can do more than send our thoughts and prayers and james suggests here saying if you have that power to do something of your own then that that is a good work and so like if you saw somebody who had fallen on hard times and it was in your power to help them then do so, but there's always caveats to this. Uh, you shouldn't be an enabler whenever someone has a problem and they continue to do the same thing, sinful things over and over again, you should not enable them. So if a person was an alcoholic, giving them money to buy liquor with generally wouldn't be helping them. It would be furthering their addiction. So we have to be wise in these things. Verse 17. Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead, being alone. Ye, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So people can say that they believe in the Lord or whatnot, but if you really believe in the Lord, and you believe His commandments and things like that, then... By virtue of that, we believe the things that he says and he, he has gave, given us certain commandments that we should do. And these, by doing these commandments, uh, they'll be our works to feed the hungry, help the sick, minister to those who are going through a hard time, and sometimes also rebuke those who are doing wickedly. Uh, sometimes it would even be to cut them off from ourselves. All these things can be works that show our faith in the Lord. Verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God, and thou doest well. But the devil, the devils also believe and tremble. So just believing that there's a God, uh, the devils and the, the evil spirits, they also know that there is a God, and, and they even tremble at him. But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? See if thou how faith wrought with his works by the works was uh, faith made perfect. Now Abraham uh, was a very old man and God appeared to him and promised him a son in his old age who was Isaac. And then as the boy grew, uh, the Lord again appeared to him and demanded that he, he sacrifice his son. And this caused anguish among Abraham, as you could imagine. But Abraham had faith in the Lord and he gathered his wood and he took Isaac with him and they went up to, to do sacrifice. And Isaac noticed that they didn't have an animal to sacrifice and Abraham told him what was said. And he said, will the Lord be done? And as he was about to sacrifice, his son, the Lord God never demands human sacrifice, has never demanded human sacrifice. It was only a, a test. Word of the Lord 
told Abraham to stop, and they saw a ram caught in a briar patch, I believe, and they sacrificed the uh, the ram. And from that day forth, uh, the Lord had tested Abraham, and he knew that he was his servant. And by his faith in the Lord, uh, the Lord saw that Abraham was someone he could count on, and Abraham became the father of many nations. Verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. That's word imputed. It is also mean reckoned, and we can use it in calculations. Like if you have a bank account and you go and you deposit money, the people at the bank, they impute the money that you gave them into your account. And that is what happens when we do these things, when we do good works for the Lord. It is imputed into our account with him. The Bible says, don't lay up treasure on earth where the moth corrupts and the thieves break in and steal, but lay up treasure in heaven where moths cannot enter and it is never corrupted. It also says wherever your treasure is, that is where your heart will be. Ye see them how by their works a man is justified and not by faith only. So we're justified by faith, but not faith only. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messages and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So if we genuinely have faith, then by a product of that, we will do as good as we can to please the Lord and further his goals in the world, which is to bring all people that will receive it into salvation. Let's look one more place to carry on along this same line. We'll look in the book of Revelation chapter 19. Uh, this is right after the, um, the judgment and uh, the beast, the devil being destroyed. And this is a vision of the apostle John. Verse 6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and the voice of many waters and the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Now, if we know symbolically, the church or the believers are the bride of Christ and they are to be spiritually virgins that is mean they have worshiped no other gods and they are pure and christ being the bridegroom will only accept a virgin wife verse 8 and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints now this righteousness it can be translated their righteous acts so it is possible to make it into heaven and be technically naked. The thing that makes us, gives us status in heaven is the robes we wear, which are the fine linen, and these are the righteous acts of the saints. So that goes back to laying up treasure in heaven, and your heart will be in heaven. 
we'll can turn back to Luke now and continue on. Luke chapter 3. If we go back to verse 8, we have John the Baptist talking about Abraham. We had James talking about Abraham. Here John says that these people, the Jews of this time, they thought that just because they were Jews, the descendants of Abraham, then they had a special place. And they do, but here he says, we, he's quoting them, we have Abraham, our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children of Abraham. So he's saying, don't think too much of yourselves because of these stones God could, he could raise up another people and leave you by the wayside. Though he will not do that because he has made promises to Abraham that his children would uh, would always be blessed. But individually he can, uh, he will punish us. Then the people asked him, what shall we do then? And he answered and said unto them, he that hath two coats, now here we're going into works and this is some examples, huh? He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And that he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? Now the publicans were public officers of the Romans. At this time, people who wanted to be a tax collector, they would send a bid in to the, the emperor and say, we'll get you so much taxes. They had a set number of money they'd send to the emperor and whatever they took above that, was there so they could basically rob the people they had the force of the state behind them and they were uh, generally despised for that so here's what he's telling them he said unto them exact no more than what is appointed to you and the soldiers likewise demanded of him saying what shall we do now these for the most part would not even be judean they wouldn't be jews they would be Roman centurions or, or soldiers from all over the Roman Empire. They could have been from Great Britain, thousands of miles away on the island, or they could have been from North Africa all the way, the other way, uh, this area here, the Middle East, the Near East, was the meeting place of all, all these roads, and it was the hinge between the Eastern and Western empires, basically though it didn't quite, quite break like that during the Muslim conquest or, or during the split up of the Roman Empire. So these soldiers, there were all manner of people, as we'll see later, in this area. It was a melting pot of all culture. And here's what he said to the soldiers. And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Right here, we're saying don't do violence to a man. Now, obviously, these are soldiers and their job is to kill and make war. This isn't what it's talking about, probably, I would say. For, you know, many times God himself has basically authorized genocide by the, the Israeli soldiers in times past, or the Israelites. Israeli is a, a modern term. Israelite is the ancient people. Israeli are the people that live in Israel today. So the Israelites who told him to go in and wipe out these heathen people. And so definitely he is for force. All human interaction is by force. But this would be unnecessary violence. The soldiers, because of their station, 
could bully the population of the land, and there wasn't really a whole lot they could do to them because they just kill them. Don't accuse any falsely. It may be at this time that they could probably take these people's positions if they accused them of such and such. That's a, a lot of the way Roman soldiers were paid were during spoils of war. Now, I'll wrap this up here, but this is very interesting. This next verse, this was written at the very beginning of the Roman Empire. This is like the second emperor. I can't remember how many emperors there were. But this was like the second emperor. And he tells these soldiers, be content with your wages. In a couple hundred years, this issue of soldier wages would bring down or come, it would be one of the factors that brought down the Roman Empire. And this is very prophetic that this is a demonstrable book that is written. There are copies of this book existing before the problems with the soldiers' wages. Up until this time, the Roman Empire had been expanded, and everywhere they went, they'd take the gold, the treasure, and everything, and they'd use it to pay the soldiers. After it was established, there wasn't much conquest after the Emperor Trajan. He expanded the Roman Empire to its fullest extent, and that would have been, I can't remember the exact date. See, Hadrian was around 134 uh, A.D. You're talking about Octavian. Yeah. He was, uh, he was Caesar Augustus, the one we read that during his day that they all had to go up and, and do the tax. Yeah. That was Augustus. He changed his name to Augustus, which means the honored or, or something like that. Just a side note, it is where the month August comes from. It's one of two months actually named after people. Well, month of August is named after Caesar Augustus. And the month of July is named after Julius Caesar, Julii. So later on, under several emperors, uh, one I remember for sure is uh, Septimius uh, Severus. The Roman emperors, to keep the population checked, they gave out a grain allotment. It's called bread and circuses. They put on grand shows and games, and they give all the people free bread, all the, all the poor people, so it kept them from rioting. But this cost a lot of money, and they had Egypt, so Egypt was the breadbasket of the Roman Empire and producing much of the grain, so they were able to do this. The problem with the soldiers' wages were they promised them land, they promised them money, after they weren't conquering anything, this had to be raised from taxes and later on from debasing the currency. So the Roman emperors, the ones that kept power anyway, always had the military on their side. And the way they did this was by ever increasing their wages and promises of more and more money. So these, these commanders of the Roman legions they were based, not entirely mercenaries, so towards the end of the, uh, the Western Empire, they were mercenaries. Uh, but the commanders would expect a lot of money to support the, the emperor. And the previous emperor would pay them a lot of money. 
this would cause problems, and but he pretty much kept power. So when he dies, his successor comes along, and they're paying the soldiers way too much. They can't afford to feed the people or whatever, but they still got to keep paying the soldiers because if you don't pay the soldiers, they turn on you and uh, put somebody else in. One time there was like four emperors in a year. Yeah, cause, so they were economically bound to keep paying these soldiers. And here, before any of this ever happened, John the Baptist told the, the Roman soldiers, be content with your wages. And that, uh, to me, is fairly prophetic after we have history to show us what happened. And so because we have these books existing, we know that people didn't just go back and make it up. The, the book exists that's that old before the events happened. I've never heard anyone mention that before. But anyway, uh, we'll wrap that up here. Is there any questions? No questions, comments, concerns.